What is up, recovery family? It's Palmer filling in for Josh and Drew, who are in hibernation while we wait for season four. As we are still in the midst of the holiday stress, we can forget that it's the small things of our recovery that contribute to the success of our sobriety. Even at Christmas time, details matter. Enjoy this holiday special of Unashamed Recovery, which is brought to you by North Park Church in Meridian, Mississippi. Reinforce your holiday relapse prevention plan as Pastor Jim Feartag delivers a powerful message on why the details matter in this copy of Sunday, December 25th, 2022 sermon titled, Getting Christmas Right. Enjoy. Merry Christmas, everybody. So, um, what in the world do you think M&Ms have to do with the band Van Halen? You, what in the world would that matter? How, how in the world would that... You, you have no idea. What do those things, anything have to do with that? Here's the deal. In the 80s, when Van Halen was big and they were going into uh, small market towns, they had a clause in their contract that said if there were any... Uh, there had to be a, a dish of M&Ms in backstage and if there were any brown M&Ms in that dish, if they were not all removed, Van Halen could, re- could refuse to play the concert and receive full payment. Who would have thought these hard rockers were such divas, right? They, they, it's beneath them to have a brown M&M. Actually, that's not the deal. There was a real reason. See, when they drove in with, eight, with nine 18-wheeler semis full of equipment into markets that usually couldn't handle more than three, uh, they, they found that lots of things wouldn't work right. The doors weren't big enough to handle all the gear coming in. The stages weren't big enough for the weight of the gear. So they actually might be putting their life in danger. But everybody wanted Van Halen to come, especially in these small market towns. And so everybody said, sure, sure, no problem. We can do it. We can do it. And they realized if they walked backstage right away and they saw a brown M&M in a dish that probably all kinds of other details in the contract were missing. And they might be putting their life in danger, and so they had to check everything, line by line, line by line. Because details matter. Details matter so much that it can be a life and death situation. Details matter also about Christmas. How many of you, in these last several weeks, have thought about certain details to make Christmas right. We've got to have the right food or the right dessert or we've got to have the right thing for the right gatherings, the right outfits, all of those kinds of things to make it right. I remember when our kids were little. Uh, for us, just about every year for 18 years, we had to get up at 3.30 in the morning on Christmas to be at the airport by 4.30, 5 o'clock for a 6 o'clock flight to Chicago every single year. 3.30 on Christmas morning is brutal, right? That's, that's tired. We had to get there so that we could get to her, my Julia's parents' house by about 11 o'clock. Otherwise, all the other pieces would not fall into place just right because you have to have Christmas be right, you know? And the details matter. I imagine lots of others in this place have done similar things to get the details to work. So what does it look like to really get Christmas 
right. Because details matter. The Apostle Paul, a few years after Jesus rose from the dead, wrote these words to a church in Philippi. He said this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He said, have this mind among yourselves, meaning the church, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is this about having the same mind in themselves? That meant that they needed to live the way of Jesus, and they didn't do it just solo. It was a group effort, all of them together. Now, once you think about this, a championship baseball team or football team, a winning orchestra or choir, or a victorious military unit, what do they all have in common? There's a way of life that they have to live by. Certain training regimen, perhaps certain foods that they have to eat, certain practices, certain, certain things to play or do or fight well. And they don't do it on their own. One person could shine, but if the rest of the group falls apart, everything falls apart. In the same way, Paul is saying, Jesus' way of life shouldn't just become my way of life, shouldn't just become your way of life. It should be our way of life, together. It's the way we live and how we live. It should change our minds and everything, because details matter. So what is this way of Jesus like that we're all supposed to be about? Years ago, NASA developed a, a gun, a special gun, that they would use to test the windshields of fighter jets and, and passenger aircraft and, of course, the space shuttle. It was called the chicken gun because it was designed to hold a standard four-pound chicken and it would be shot at those windshields to see, because bird strikes were a big deal, to see if those windshields could test and actually handle a bird strike and make sure that they wouldn't break. British engineers heard about this chicken gun, and they knew that if it worked out for space shuttle and jets, what would it do for high-speed trains? And so British engineers asked, could they borrow NASA's chicken gun? NASA helped, uh, was happy to let them borrow it, and they wanted to test the velocity of a chicken being fired at a windshield of a high-speed train. And sure enough, it blasted through the windshield, broke through the control panel, split what would be the engineer's chair in half and embedded itself in the cabin wall behind. British engineers were shocked. How in the world could that happen? I mean, it would kill an engineer. It would cut him in half. So they wrote NASA, told them about their test, showed them all the designs and all the specifications and said, what in the world is wrong? NASA wrote back a small reply. Next time defrost the chicken because <laughs> details matter frozen chicken being fired through a gun through a windshield a whole lot different than an unfrozen one details matter the apostle Paul just said we're supposed to have the same mind as Christ Jesus right so what does that even mean who is this Jesus we're supposed to have the mind of how are we, how are we supposed to live that way of life if details matter, the issue then is not my opinion. It's not even your opinion. It's not the opinion of somebody with three or four PhDs. It's about, in this case, what the eyewitnesses to Jesus' real life had to say. Scriptures. 
Here's what Paul said. He started this in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, this is talking about Jesus, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped. What's he talking about? That word grasped could also mean exploited. Okay? So he, he was in the form of God. He was God in every way. That means he was all-knowing. That means he was all-powerful. That means he was ever-present, that he was eternal in every single way imaginable. That's, that's hard to grasp, really. I mean, we can say that theologically, and, oh, yeah, God knows everything. He sees everything. He's everywhere. But how do you, how do you understand and grasp that? It's kind of like, how do, you, how do you understand the depths, the fullness, the vastness, say, of the ocean? I mean, you probably, everybody in this room has seen at least a part of the ocean, the Gulf, or the Atlantic, or the Pacific. But do you really understand it? It's so vast. It's so overwhelming. It's deep. It's, it's far. It covers miles and miles and miles. All kinds of creatures, all kinds of trees. It's impossible to fully grasp everything ocean. And it's impossible to fully grasp everything God. But to add to that, not just to say that Jesus is all-knowing, internal, and ever-present and everything. It says the amazing thing that even though he enjoyed that position in heaven, he didn't exploit it. He, he surrendered it. He didn't count that equality with God as something to be grasped or exploited. So while it was his right to hold on to every bit of his eternity, every bit of his all-knowingness, Every bit of his all-powerfulness, every bit of his ever-presentness, he decided to lower himself to become just like you and me. He's unwilling to exercise that right. He loved us that much. Instead, Jesus in love voluntarily took on humanity for us. That's what we're talking about here. What does that mean, he took on humanity? Verse 7 tells us, He but made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, that could also be translated slave. Being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus made himself like a slave. He had everything in heaven. But he loved us enough to come down like a slave in every single way, completely. He voluntarily emptied himself to show us what God was really like. So God's not this distant being out here that's always get, 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 give me, give me, give me. I want more, 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 more. In Jesus, he showed us what God's like. He's, he's the ever-present one. Matthew says he's Emmanuel, God with us. He came to give, 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 to be very close to us. Jesus willingly took on the role of that slave for us. Verses 6 and 7 are Christmas verses. It's about this eternal God who came in flesh to us. It's about making Christmas right. It's about, it's about Jesus not hanging on to the lofty power he deserved, but instead taking on the form of a slave that we deserved. Details matter. Verse 8 says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus wasn't humbled by anyone. 
I've been humbled before by somebody. You've probably been humbled before by some. Jesus was humbled by no one. He humbled himself. He voluntarily, lovingly humbled himself and took that form on. This is Easter stuff, right? His had happened, this salvation, this new life in him, this way of life that we can take on together because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Details matter. Do you know what it means to have a personal and intimate relationship with this Jesus? How does that even work? Three things. It means believing in Jesus, there's a different kind of belief. We think often belief in Jesus means agreeing to a list of sort of religious or doctrinal statements. Yeah, I believe in this. Yeah, I believe in that. So that's an incomplete answer. How many of you believe in the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or Chupacabras or aliens? I don't know if you do or not. If you do, you you watch a lot of really weird shows on the History Channel probably, right? And you're on YouTube a lot. And that's cool. But how much of that belief has anything to do with your life? Zero. Whether or not you believe in that stuff. You you don't make decisions every day based on that. You don't order your life around that. That kind of belief doesn't matter at all. That faith, if you will, matters not at all. It has no practical effect on your life. But if you have faith in Jesus, we're not talking about that kind of faith. We're talking about a kind of faith where you grasp onto him and he shapes your life. Everything is wrapped around him. Like we've said these last several weeks, faith in Jesus is simple trust that leads to a life of surrender and obedience. It's about believing in who he is and what he did. And it leads to something. Surrender, obedience. It matters your belief. Details matter. Because faith in Jesus is real. You pattern your life around him. He doesn't pattern around you. You patterned around him. It's a different kind of belief. It's also, it's a different kind of I'm sorry. You know, parents, you can tell the difference between a sincere I'm sorry and one that's not. One that's really like, okay, I'm really sorry I got caught. You know the difference. If you can tell, do you think a holy God can tell when we're that way? When, when our attitude, it's really not sincere. It's not heartfelt. It's just a, you know, it's just something we have to say. A sincere I'm sorry is a biblical word called repentance. It's all over the scriptures, though it's not in this particular passage. But it's what the details require. That word repentance really is talking about a real confession. It's admitting what's true. It's real contrition, it's really heart sorrow, and it's real change. It's not that I feel badly I got caught, or I'd do anything to get out of this jam, but if you didn't catch me, I'd keep going the way I was going. It's I actually feel bad about the sin, what it's done to God, what it's done to me, what it's done to others, and I have a desire to turn and go in a new direction. See, details matter. Jesus gave his life voluntarily for us and if we have faith in him if we believe in him want to pattern our life around him it starts by saying we're sorry for what required him to sit on and be on that cross a sincere sorry because details matter nobody's going to truly do that 
They're never going to truly repent unless they understand who this Jesus is who loved them. Because if you don't really understand the depths of which what Jesus did for us, you'll think that that's all either unnecessary nonsense or hopeless. With you know, There's no way it'll ever work. But if you understand who he really is, this God who didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, exploited, but loved himself so much that he humbled himself to come down, you'll say, well, that's the one I can hang on to. I can trust him. His love is good. It's perfect. He wants me. His love is radical. It was enough to die for me at my worst. That's the God I hang on to. And then it's a different kind of peace. It's a different kind of belief, different kind of sorry, very different kind of peace. We often think peace is the absence of two people shooting at each other. That's not, that's not the peace we're talking about. If we got in an airplane right now and flew to Korea and stood on the borders of North and South Korea, you would see the demilitarized zone that's there. If you know anything about that, it's a pretty intense place. Because that's the line where the two Koreas uh, divide. And it was set in 1953 when the Korean War didn't end. It was suspended. Technically, we're still at war with North Korea. And North Korea is technically still at war with South Korea. You still have enemies facing off with guns every single day. That's not peace. The God that... Peace with God that we're talking about, that's not peace. Where he isn't shooting at us and we're not shooting at him. Here's the kind we're talking about. Here's another scene of an ending of a war. The battleship Missouri. That was the scene of the surrender of the Japanese after World War II ended. Where you saw two countries, one that surprisingly attacked one at Pearl Harbor and another one that crushed it, and they're coming together in full and total surrender. And after that day ended, two countries became friends, allies even today. See, in Korea, there's no rest, there's no security, there's no peace, because there's never been a surrender. Between us, there is rest. There's security, there's peace. That's the type of thing we're talking about with Jesus. Not the absence of conflict, but a real surrender that brings security and rest and peace. Do you know how that's possible? There's only one way. Grace alone. It's not you being good enough. It's not you being smart enough. It's not you trying hard, but God's grace alone. We've defined it these last several weeks. Grace literally is undeserved favor given by an unobligated giver. You know what that's saying? We deserve nothing from Jesus. He should have stayed in heaven in his lofty position. He should have exploited that because we didn't deserve it. But instead, because he humbled himself and was unobligated to do so, and even went to the point of death on the cross for us, Friends, we can have new life. That's the God we're at peace with. That's the God we surrender everything to. Details matter. A new life in Jesus is grace that brings peace with God. Now we become, the scriptures say, his friend. That's true security. That's true rest. That's true peace. So if details matter, you can't be fuzzy on this. Do you know that kind of belief? 
Have you had that kind of I'm sorry? Are you enjoying that kind of peace? That's the deal. If so, here's the next piece. Therefore, Paul says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what he just said there? Everybody's going to worship him in the end. What do you mean? There's a lot of people that are not Christians. They don't believe in him. Yeah, they're going to worship him at the end. It'll be a worship that everybody participates in if only for a moment. Some it'll be a worship of joy, and some it'll be a crushing blow, but their knee will bow too. What, what are you saying? I'm telling you that in Jesus, when he returns, Billy Graham will bow his knee in worship to Jesus in victory. Somebody famous like him. My mom, who nobody would know but believed in Jesus and served him with his life, will bow in humble, joy-filled worship at that moment, because they know their reward has come. But not that only. The most arch evil person you might think of, an Adolf Hitler is going to bow his knee in worship. And so is the guy who you work with who's pretty good. He just doesn't have any time for God. He's going to bow his knee to worship too. But that worship is going to be a worship of crushing humility knowing that the just punishment is coming, he will be worshipped at the end. Details matter completely. We live today based on the faith that we have about that future reality. That is why we seek together to live a life that Jesus had. We don't try to obey so that he'll accept us. That's not our motivation. He's accepted us already in his grace We believe that by faith. That's why we obey. It's changed everything. And if we get that one single detail right, well, we'll get Christmas right. In fact, we'll get all of life right. So details, they really do matter. Who is this Jesus you're surrendering and pattering your life around? It's all hinging on that, every bit of it. Cold January morning in a subway station in Washington, D.C. A guy comes in. He's a violin player. He sets up near a trash can at the entrance of this station. He opens up his violin case. He takes out his violin. He takes out some money, throws a few bucks in the violin case, and he begins to play. Nothing spectacular about the guy. He's wearing a pair of jeans. He's wearing a long-sleeve T-shirt, wearing a Washington Nationals baseball cap. And he just plays for 45 minutes. Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, selected uh, songs that even if you're not a classical music buff, you would probably know. In that 45 minutes, about 1,000 people come in and out of that station. And in those 45 minutes, 27 people stop and take notice of 1,000. And they give a couple of bucks In that 45 minutes, he made $32. He's just a violin player. People are in a hurry. They're on their way to work. Nobody paid attention. But this was just no ordinary violin player. This was a guy named Joshua Bell. He's a world-renowned violin player. 
Just three days before that happened, he sold out a concert hall in Boston where the cheapest tickets were $100. And he only got 32 bucks in 45 minutes. The violin he was playing, no dime store violin. It was a Stradivarius worth over $3 million he whipped out of that case. And nobody took any notice. It was actually an experiment done by the Washington Post to see if anybody would notice. And nobody did. Nobody. The atheist, Richard Dawkins, an Oxford professor, uh, was in a debate one time with uh, his sort of debating nemesis, another Oxford professor, a guy named John Lennox, who was a Christian. They were debating about God. At one point in the debate, Dawkins, going towards Lennox, said... He, Lennox, believes that the creator of the universe, the God who devised the laws of physics, the laws of mathematics, the physical constants, that this genius of mathematics and physical science could not think of a better way to rid the world of sin than to come to this little speck of cosmic dust and have himself tortured and executed so that he could forgive us. Dawkins said that that was profoundly unscientific, It didn't do justice to the grandeur of the the universe. It was petty, small, pathetic. Why would God bother to enter the world uh, into a small, uh, excuse me, why would God bother to enter into a small and broken planet like that? But that's the point. That's the point. Jesus, the all-knowing, eternal all-powerful creator of the universe did not wish to exploit his position in heaven, but in love. He descended to this earth. He humbled himself. Humbled himself in love down to the lowest point, down to the point of willing to die on a cross for our sins. That we might have new life in him. Those details are everything. It's like being blindsided in a subway station, not paying attention to the violinist playing because you just don't see him. You're on your way to work. You're in a hurry and you don't pay attention. But that's the master violinist playing on a masterful violin, the most beautiful music in the world. Friends, details matter. Everything in life and everything in eternity is hinging on the reality that Jesus came in flesh as a baby and lived a human life. He did not have to live, but he did it out of love for you and for me. And he lived in such a way that was sinless and perfect And then he voluntarily took his life and surrendered it that we might have life. He paid for our sin once and for all and offers us the gift of eternal life in him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus, in himself alone, to the glory of God alone. That's the details. And they matter. And everything hinges on it. Do you know them? Are you living in the light of them? 
Have you gone through and have that kind of experience of that kind of belief? Does the reality of that make you want to say the real I'm sorry? Are you enjoying the real peace with God? That's Christmas. If you get that right, those details, then you'll not only get Christmas light right, you'll get life right. If you get those wrong, everything else is wrong too. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, right here, right now, in this place, we put our lives in your hand. We love you. We ask God that you would speak to each and every one of us in this place. That we would get the details right. That we wouldn't continue to try to live apart from you, away from you, ignorant of you. But instead, Lord, we put our lives in your hands. We really would believe in the eternal Son of God. We really indeed would say that real I'm sorry and turn from our sin. And we indeed, Lord, really and truly would live with you by grace alone and enjoy the peace that only you can give us. Move in the heart of every boy and girl today, every man and woman, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Pastor Jim Fiertag's Christmas Sermon, Getting Christmas Right, on this bonus episode of Unashamed Recovery. We hope it will be a tool added to your recovery toolkit and help you make it through another stressful holiday season. As always, you can find us on all social media platforms, and you can also join the rest of the recovery family at our Facebook group, Unashamed Recovery. And remember, Season 4 premieres Monday, March 6, 2023. Until then... Stay unashamed, recovery family.